0: Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 93 with my friend Megan. I was excited to sit down with Megan. Uh, She's one of those people, you know, I know from uh, a random thing, and I don't know much about her uh, as a person, her history, her life. So this was a great, uh, great little sit down, great little get to know you sesh. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. And without further ado, Here's my interview with my friend, Megan. You
1: and I have
0: lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Uh, I'm super excited that you said, uh, or you were up for this, because I, I don't know much about you at all. What I do know is like social media based. And <laughs> I normally start out with how I know people and, I guess I just know you through, I met you through well-being, um, uh, which I, everybody that listens to this knows is a brewery. Cause I've been like advertising them in, in the middle of the episode. So, um, but you are the, what is, what is your title?
1: So my title is director of brand ambassadors, Okay, which feels very official yeah. and very, um, Important in a way, which it is, um, but important more in the way that I get to connect with all of you guys and yeah. try to coordinate this new program. Um, yeah, basically I've been a brand ambassador with wellbeing just independently since 2020. Okay. And then I, yeah, I've just always been in contact with them. Like, Hey, I want to be more involved. I want to work in person events. Like I'm such a big fan of your brand and of your company. And then it was at the end of October that I connected with Jeff and he was like, we really want to launch this brand ambassador program and we really could uh, use somebody to coordinate it. So and, and more than anything, go. I'm more of a coordinator than a director, but I'm also here to give direction. Yeah, <laughs>
0: so. That's fine. So you're my boss. I'm just going to withhold information from you. Um, <laughs> But no, I, and, I'm a cool boss though. <laughs> yeah. I'm a cool
1: boss with dad jokes and uh, I try to find a pun anywhere possible. <laughs>
0: That's good because I'm wearing one of my mini grandpa cardigans. So we'll fit right in. Um, I, I love it. I, I we also have something in common in this environment, which is being sober. So I want to dive into that uh, eventually, too. But before we do any of that, I'm going to go back in time. Um, <laughs> you're born. Do you have, do you have any siblings?
1: I do. So I have two older sisters and a younger brother. Okay. So I'm, I'm one of four and I was the baby for seven years. So I like to think that I have a little bit of like, you know, the baby of the family, yeah. but also a middle child, you know,
0: try to fix everything.
1: Perfect for plenty of issues. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> do you, so seven years between you and your brother,
1: mm-hmm. what's
0: the age difference between you and your sisters?
1: Oh, gosh. See, now you're going to challenge me on my uh, <laughs> <laughs> on my siblings' ages. And I'm always so terrible with this. That's oh, my gosh. Um, so let's see. My oldest sister is 37.
0: Okay.
1: And then my I always call her my middle sister. Um, she is 35. Okay. okay. Let's say that. <laughs> yep. And I'm 33. Or, oh, my gosh. See, I'm not going to lie to you, Justin. I'm nervous. And <laughs> as a as a performer, you wouldn't think that I... Because my past life, I was a performer. You wouldn't think that I would get so nervous for this stuff. But I really
0: yeah. do. And then, then you throw a no, yeah. at me, and I'm like... Ah. There's, there's <laughs> nothing to be nervous about. Um, no, I, I mean... The the advantage here is there's there's no quiz at the end, and if, if you're wrong about someone's age, there's no one's like, "Hey, hold on, I know that chick. She's not. She's lying to me." I do feel super old because I'm a year older than your oldest sister, but that's fine. That's just my own. That's just my own shit to deal with. Um,
1: <laughs> well, and I just told you that I'm thirty three. I'm not, I'm 31. I'm going to be 32 in May. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> sometimes you got to lie and say you're 33 to get into the right clubs. Um, I get that. That's <laughs> sure. Um, so uh, did you grow up in St. Louis area?
1: I did. Yep. So I'm originally from St. Louis, uh, South County suburbs is where I grew up. Okay. And basically, you know, grew up there. Um, and then, moved for college when I um, turned 18. So basically for the first 18 years of my life, I was a St. Louis South County kid. <laughs> there you
0: go. What, uh, what do your parents do when you grow up when you're a kid?
1: Um, so my mom has always worked as a personal secretary okay. for different families. And um, then my dad was in finance. And so he worked for Couple different companies here in St. Louis. Uh, yep, in corporate finance.
0: That's fun. Well, I mean, maybe not. Depends on your interest, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I
1: think he enjoyed it. It yeah. definitely uh, finance, and it's interesting now through my my current job. Um, I work at. STL Youth Jobs, which is a program through Goodwill, through MERS Goodwill. And I'm a job coach there. And there's a big financial literacy component to our um, training. There
0: should be a financial literacy component to high school.
1: (laughs) I'm telling you, like the stuff that we're teaching these kids, I'm like, man, I'm learning things every day when I'm, you know, either sitting in on the trainings or going over things with them. Like, yeah, this would have been stuff that it's useful for yeah. teenagers to learn to set the foundation, but it's something that I think we all could use a little refresher on throughout our oh, lives yeah. as well.
0: Well, you get kicked out, uh, <laughs> well, you don't get kicked out, some people do, I suppose, but <laughs> like you go out at like 18, you know, 19, whatever, you leave the house and then you, get, you figure out, you got to figure out bills and rent and, uh, you know, car payments and, credit cards and, and credit scores like shit that, uh, I didn't, I didn't know anything when I did all that. And, uh, that really turned into me like screwing myself over for a chunk of my twenties. Uh, and then it took even longer to fix all of that. So it's, it's amazing. They don't really like teach any of that in, in high school. And that's, that's been a topic that's come up a number of times on here. Um, but yeah, I'm getting, this is one of my many tangents you'll see. Uh, but Going back, I wanted to see, because the age separation between you and your sisters is like that perfect amount to where you guys could have gotten along, but you also could have been like the little sister. They were like, get away, (laughs) like argued a lot or something like that. So what did that relationship look like, like before your brother comes along or maybe a little after when you guys are kind of growing up?
1: So it's interesting, my oldest sister and I had a very different relationship than my middle sister yes. and I. Um, so my oldest sister has always been a little bit more of like my second mom and very much a caretaker. Um, and then growing up, at least, my middle sister and I were definitely more of the fighting with each other. Um, we both had more of a rebellious of. Uh, You know pattern in our lives so i think you know probably having that in common and then also with me being the baby for so long that there was i think more tension between myself and my middle sister but now we're all you know all friends and all um yeah
0: it helps to grow older
1: (laughs) yeah right we're all grown-ups now And then actually my, my middle sister lives in Mexico right now. She, uh, yeah, she teaches English, um, virtually for a university and independently, um, through her own, um, teaching program. And so she actually lives in Mexico. And so I don't get, I just got to see her over Christmas, but she's been living in Mexico for almost a year now. And I'm super proud of her. She had never um, lived away from St. Louis before that. So. That's it was funny. really exciting for her to get to take a new adventure and yeah. do something.
0: Yeah, uh, that's uh, do something
1: a, wild. What a
0: weird time to go live in another country. <laughs> but yeah, <that's>... yes,
1: weird, <laughs> weird, but also like a perfect time, yeah. I think, in a way, because it's like everybody was having to make the choices that were best for them. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I think for her and her family. It was like, okay, we can either stay in St. Louis and keep trying to do the same thing, or we can take a leap and and go ahead and go to Mexico. Yeah, and they well, actually went know. to Colombia. Yeah, oh, they went wow. to Colombia for a little while and lived there. And so, yeah, yeah, I got, it's been an adventure.
0: I got, I got my passport in the mail today. <laughs> it's, I was like, ooh, there's like this 22-year-old self-destructive voice in my head that's like, leave it all behind go find a country and just go there um i won't but it's that's a, i like the possibility um yeah so what is what is your household like as far as your parents go like you have you guys have a good relationship with your parents are they around a lot when you're growing up um you said both your parents are working was it a your older sisters are lo- looking after you situation
1: so that's an interesting question so Basically, my mom worked part time um, when we were younger, okay. so she was home with us. And then also, um, her mom, my nana, was a really big part of my life growing up, and definitely one of my main caretakers and um, almost like a third parent in in our household. Yeah. Like we spent a lot of time at my nana's house, and yeah, she was a huge influence on my life and. I miss her so much every day. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. Um,
1: Yeah, but no, both my parents are incredible and have been like my biggest supporters. Yeah, throughout everything through my dance career, through recovery, um, through everything. So, and it's been a beautiful thing. I actually lived with them when I came back. Um, So I was living in Las Vegas pre pandemic. Yeah. And then, March of 2020, I was supposed to get onto a cruise ship contract that then, of course, was canceled. Bummer. And yes, it was. And I really was, you know, we all were in that place of like, oh, this is just going to be like a couple weeks with COVID. So <laughs> originally, I packed my bags as if I was just coming home to St. Louis to wait it out and then go directly to my rehearsals for the cruise ship. And then to go ahead and just, yeah, go on with life as normal. yeah but Clearly that didn't happen. And so instead of of doing that, I came back and I actually lived with my parents from March of 2020 until October um, of 2020. And then I went ahead and got my own place <laughs> and decided, okay, I guess I live back in St. Louis now.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, kind of forced your hand. That's crazy. So did you... Yeah. Uh, because the cruise contracts those are usually like pretty long, right?
1: So I did two previous uh, cruise ship contracts. Right, well, not right out of college. I basically I graduated college in 2011, and then I moved to Chicago actually and lived in Chicago for about a year, and then I did two back to back cruise ship contracts. So I, I believe one was seven months and then the other one, including rehearsals, was probably eight or nine months.
0: So what so, was what was the plan when you left Vegas in 2020? Was it like, did you, because I mean, right, if you're going to be gone for like a year or something, I imagine you got rid of your apartment and stuff or did you sublet it or like, what was, what was that? What did that look like when you took off for your temporary leave? <laughs>
1: So that contract was actually gonna be a little shorter. It was only gonna be six months
0: okay. total
1: um, being away. And the house that I was living in in Vegas, I had been living there for about three years. So instead of getting a subletter in or, you know, canceling my lease or anything like that, I just went ahead and I was gonna just keep my place and okay. keep all my stuff where yeah. it was at. Um, and so <laughs> I, I continued to do that actually while I was staying here in St. Louis, I kept my place in Vegas until October of 2020. Oh, okay. I went back and, and cleared out my, yeah. my stuff. That's crazy. So, um, I know
0: I promise I'll stick to some sort of timeline, but <laughs> I, I wanted to jump back. You mentioned you, you and your, your middle sister going through, you were like the rebellious ones. What What does that look like? What does rebellious look like growing up?
1: Well, let's see I don't I don't necessarily wanna talk, yeah. speak too much to my sister yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. but I can speak to myself for sure um, yeah okay, and if so I touch rebellious... on anything you
0: don't want to talk about just just let me know and I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll very happily back away. I don't want to make you uncomfortable in any way.
1: Well thank you I appreciate that <laughs> um, okay, so rebellious Megan <laughs> 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 I think. You know, we could probably trace it back to even just being a little kid and attention seeking, you know, like I've always been a performer. And so, you know, wanting to have the spotlight and wanting to have everyone's attention. And so then, you know, fast forward to like middle and high school, it's like, okay, well, you know, find people to run with who will give you attention and get into some trouble with drinks. No, and no. Um, <laughs> and for me it was finding people who you know it felt like they were my people like we were a little bit of like on the fringe and you know wanting to push the limits and so I think there was something there as far as you know finding people that I could connect with on a deeper level and I think sometimes alcohol can be that uh, fast train to connecting uh-huh. with people on a deeper level, especially when you're young and you're like, okay, we're going to drink and have a heart to heart and say things that we wouldn't normally say. And, you know, you can almost access those, those deep emotional moments, um, faster and, yeah. but not in a healthy way. You know, looking back, I know that that, that was not the, uh, the healthiest choice for Did- a preteen teenager. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, did you start drinking early?
1: I did, yes. So I, I, my first drink was when I was twelve.
0: Okay, yeah, that is so. It's fairly early. <laughs> um, yeah. Was it yeah. like consistent from there on, or was it like you tried drinking and then didn't really get into it until later?
1: So it was kind of sporadic, okay. and it was like the first time I drank, I didn't get drunk, but. Then after that it was like those sporadic times of drinking. Usually we're binge drinking with friends, drinking. I was a, a blackout queen. <laughs> Not, again, and none of this is to make any of this yeah, sound glamorous. So any kids <laughs> or adults listening out there, yeah, I know. none of this is glamorous. Um, but definitely that was one of my uh my MO's was was a blackout drinker and just always being the one who wanted to close down the party and drink until there wasn't anything left. And, you know, just squeeze every ounce of, of, in my mind, fun and excitement out of, yeah, out of everything.
0: I'm I'm familiar. (laughs) Comes, comes with the territory. Uh, I I'm wondering though, I'm trying to break this down. I'm thinking like as the youngest, and I'm a youngest, um, (laughs) you typically can get away with a lot more than maybe your older siblings uh, were able to get away with. And I'm wondering if you kind of got the taste of that for a while when you weren't doing like bad shit because you were, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine years old. And then when your brother comes along and he's the youngest, does that switch flip at all in your household? Uh, Like, are you being held more accountable? Or are you just kind of like, Megan, go do whatever you're going to do. We have this other youngest kid. We have to, like, make sure he's doing everything and we're feeding him and clothing him and everything. Like, was there a transition there? Because that age group or the age gap, thats seven years, I imagine you, like, by the time he gets to the point where they don't have to, like, watch him constantly, you're already about to get into, like, junior high.
1: Yes, and... Again, this is all this is all interesting to um, to break down and, and speak to for sure. Um, I also have a nephew who lived with us. Who um, let's see, he and my little brother are four years apart.
0: Okay, what was the situation so, there? Why did your nephew live with you? Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no! And so we can talk about it for okay. sure. Um, it's just so interesting to um, yeah to speak to it in a sense of. Like, oh, I I wonder what my sister would think about me talking about this, or my nephew would think about me talking about this. Oh,
0: because it would his nephew are you so your nephew is your sister's kid.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's my I guess middle, I was thinking about it, like, I don't
0: understand kid. what you're saying. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I guess
1: okay, here's the best way to say it is that yes, my sister had my nephew when she was very young. Okay. And so my nephew also Lived with us, you know, until my sister graduated high school, she guys and had a then a full house out for a little while. <laughs> oh yeah, so I think that's definitely at play. That my parents had their hands full. Yeah, my parents had their hands very full. Our house was very full, very busy, and I also was doing well in school. I was excelling in dance, so as far as they were concerned, it's like I was checking the boxes. I was doing the things that I was supposed to be doing. You know, like you said, when I was younger, I wasn't really um, doing anything too out of the ordinary. Um, And then as I got older, I think, again, they had their hands full, and I was checking the boxes at school, checking the boxes at dance. So those uh, extracurricular moments, I think that they they gave me more freedom and maybe, uh, trusted me when they shouldn't have, <laughs> because I was doing all the right things in the other areas of my life. So you
0: think, looking back, uh, and I'm projecting a lot of this, like I was, I had an incident of sexual abuse at 11 and like right around sixth grade, I was like, Oh yeah, that's, there's, there's a trail of, you know, shit after that. Um, uh, <laughs> and I'm wondering like, When you look back, having that full house, having those people there, your sister, her kid, your family, like, and everybody has to, like, get their own amount of attention or whatever, anywhere. Are you seeking out people that are going to, like, see you as unique and valuable and and stuff like that? Like, do you think that's where that stemmed from? Where you start, like, hanging out with whatever the crowd is that uh, maybe puts you into situations (laughs) that, Uh, aren't the best for you at that age
1: yeah absolutely i think seeking yeah seeking out attention seeking out validation um i should
0: get that tattooed on my back (laughs) 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 good old validation yeah
1: yeah and (laughs) yeah i think uh the early relationships with i should say boys because they weren't men but (laughs) Yeah, looking back at early relationships with boys and um, risky behavior and things of that nature, it's like, absolutely, I was seeking validation and attention, and alcohol was also a very easy way for me to maybe not see those interactions as such a big deal or able to lower my inhibitions about that, And, and yeah, just to get what i was looking for that attention yeah. and validation
0: yeah so yeah
1: absolutely
0: that's just care yeah because i can very much relate to that and that's so i was like oh i wonder if that's the same thing uh so yeah that's yeah um i want to shift the lens a little and talk about dance <laughs> um Ooh, yeah so how early are you doing dance classes so I started
1: dancing when I was two, oh my, my God. very first dance classes, yes. This
0: is all, so, yeah, this is all very familiar. I've interviewed a couple other dancers, and, and I'm so curious to know your your individual experience with with growing up uh, as dance as part of your life. So you start at two yes. years old. Do you even remember that? I'm assuming no? <laughs> no. no, I do
1: not remember. Um, and I guess I could even say that I was i was on stage before i was even born because my mom took recreational classes and Mm. she was in our dance recital while she was pregnant with me so i was on stage um before i was even born and then um, and both of my sisters were in dance class as well so that kind of prefaced me uh starting dance classes so early
0: yeah
1: and then i was already in the competitive dance world by the time i was six so that was my yes so my first competition was at age six and then i stayed at the same dance studio um, training competitively and competing regionally and nationally um, doing all those things until i was 18.
0: so what is that what chunk of your time does that take up um because from what I've heard, that is, you know, especially at, at that level, you're, you have to be doing it a lot, right? Like you have your school day and then how much of your extra time between, you know, school and going to bed is, is dance when you're growing up? Looking back, it feels like all of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sometimes I, I think especially about high school, I did the dance team in high school as well. And I'm not really sure how there were enough hours in the day yeah. to do school and dance team and my competitive dance classes, and then Saturdays all day on Saturday was competition rehearsal. And yeah, I'm not really sure how I even found all the time <laughs> to go out and party and do the things. That yeah, I that's did. <laughs> funny that,
0: that that you can even fit that in. You know. Um, and i'm also curious oh, I did. <laughs> yeah. what role did that um so did you i don't know how to phrase this <laughs> did did discipline play a role in that because i feel like dance uh well what style of dance were you doing like throughout your childhood like ballet or
1: yeah so i grew up in a studio where the main focus was jazz tap and okay. musical theater okay we definitely still had ballet classes um you know we had a the full range of things hip-hop um (laughs) lyrical contemporary modern we had the full range of styles but our main focuses were jazz musical theater and tap
0: okay well yeah so that feels a little and i correct me if i'm wrong i don't know anything about dance but it feels a little um i guess looser like like I feel like everyone, I've, the two people I've talked to for the show, especially have done uh, ballet and everything is very tightly wound, very disciplined. Like, and then uh, in, the, in that world, uh, typically has led to some form of eating disorder during some period of their life. Um, and I'm wondering if you relate to any of that or if it was a little more like more f- geared towards fun than like be perfect. Like, what kind of pressure did you feel in that world?
1: So, we definitely had a very disciplined, oh. very high standard um, approach that was taken at My Dance Studio. Okay. Um, which, again, I'm like, I don't know if I should say the name.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you're fine. And we um, won't. <laughs> we'll take it out. But we'll no, yeah.
1: <laughs> But even, well, I'll just say like even the name of my dance studio was the professional dance center. And so it was like, you know, the standard was that you were being trained and treated as a professional dancer even though you may only be 6 years old or you, may, you know, yeah. not so much for the 6-year-olds, but you know, especially in my preteen and teen years, yeah. I was held to a very high standard and I can look back and see that that's definitely where my perfectionism and um, always holding myself, yes, to that like elite standard and it can always be better and it can always, you know, you can always rehearse it more and, you know, running through a dance and stopping every time that someone made a mistake and kind of getting a lecture on, (laughs) on, on, you know that we need to be representing our dance studio and representing ourselves better, and yeah. So, but uh, I think that brought me real, like, some of my very best friends who are still my friends today. It's almost like trauma bond that we, <laughs> we were able to. And and I I should also say I am grateful for my training because it did prepare me for the professional dance world. Yeah, um, it's a harsh world. And it's definitely not a world that you can enter into with a thin skin. You cannot enter into it with um, any ideas that it's gonna be easy. Yeah. And I think that the training that I received technically, as well as mental toughness, um, it did it did prepare me for the professional dance world. So I am absolutely grateful for that. but.
0: Were there prior to, um, because I do want to get into like the professional dance career you've had and everything, but um, Mm -hmm. prior to that, like did it create any issues, uh, whether that be body image, self-esteem, or anything like that, or or was it always, I mean, I'll let you answer, I'm not going to assume anything, but... Yeah, I mean, it's difficult
1: to stand in front of a mirror for that many hours of your life and not have some body issues.
0: <laughs> yeah, I prefer no mirrors at all. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. At
1: this point in my life, I'm very much, uh, I prefer no mirrors. And in a yoga <laughs> studio, that's something that I've really found. I can, I find my best practices and my deepest connections when there is no mirror. Okay. Because otherwise, I I do find myself, you know, yeah, looking and judging and, oh, well, this pose could be a little deeper or, "Mm, well, Megan, you packed on a couple of those pandemic pounds. and (laughs) It's just, so yes, so growing up in a dance studio in front of a mirror, you know, um, there's that comparison as well when you're in a room full of other girls and you are just constantly looking at each other's bodies and comparing and um so yes it definitely created some body issues and i wouldn't say that i ever had disordered eating but restrictive eating at different times and and so yeah it's it's a difficult uh thing and I I look now because I'll teach every once in a while I'll go in and do master classes um, and I really try to enforce that like every person in this room is perfect just the way they are Yeah, you know like and not just talking about bodies but just like we are not here we're so lucky to be in this room right now like just I try to start my classes with like yeah. a gratitude practice because we're so lucky to be in this room, like, especially with COVID to like the, the fact that we're able to like be in a room together, the fact that we're <laughs> able to move our bodies, that we're able to like have this sacred space yeah. to dance together. Like that's what matters.
0: It's, it's a perfect time in this world to yeah find some gratitude for things like that. That's for sure. Um, so yeah. when you graduate, you go to college immediately yes yep. so i went yeah. to
1: college in pittsburgh oh. i went to point park university
0: okay my sister-in-law lives in pittsburgh i've been there like five times this year
1: <laughs> oh um, yes i love pittsburgh
0: yeah i'm it's it's growing on me um i have a new nephew there who just turned one in december and so we don't get to like go explore as often as i would like when we're visiting but um yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool places there. And uh, yeah, so you, you were there. What was what the school? I'm sorry.
1: Um, so I went to Point Park University.
0: Okay. Do you what did you do there? Major wise or anything like that?
1: Yep. So I actually majored in dance. So I have my bachelor's surprise, in dance. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. Um, and I was super grateful to that school as well, that they had a three year um, BA program. So I was able to graduate in three years. I went in with a couple of um, college credits that I was able to do like dual credit classes in high school. So I went in with a couple credits and then I did some summer courses and so I was yeah I was able to graduate in 3 years. Nice. And
0: yeah. What's what's nice? It's a very
1: competitive <laughs> school. <laughs> I guess yeah, what I would say about Point Park is that it's another experience that I'm really grateful for because it did prepare me for the professional world. Yeah. I went in thinking okay, I'm going to get to perform so much and it's going to be, you know, I I guess I just went into it thinking that this is going to be like similar to my experience in high school, but I was, I was going in as a small fish in a big pond to this university and it's actually a conservatory program. So it's very competitive and, um, and I was a jazz concentration, but so there's, you know, um, ballet concentration, modern concentration mm-hmm. and jazz concentration, but the jazz program at the time was very contemporary and more modern leaning. Okay. Um, whereas I'm more of a traditional musical theater mm-hmm. jazz um, focus. So that was, it, it gave me a lot of room to grow. And I'm so grateful for that because then that definitely served me out in the professional world.
0: Yeah, for sure. What is that like being away from home for the first time and and on your own in a, in a pretty big city?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was excited, but I was also very, I was very stressed. Um, And trying to balance, I think a lot of people experience this when they go into college, that it's like, okay, now this is the first time that I am fully responsible for myself. (laughs) Um, So my schedule, you know, um, yeah, just everything in your life. And trying to balance also dance classes with academics. And um, we had 8 a.m. ballet classes, which... Especially when you're trying to keep a drinking schedule, like (laughs) 8am ballet is really hard.
0: (laughs) So do you feel like you got, you you were even more disciplined when you left home because you kind of, you knew, it seems like you had the self-awareness to know, like, no one's gonna, you know, wake me up in the morning. No one's going to be like, Megan, time to go to class. (laughs) Like you, you, it sounds like you kind of stressed out about knowing that you have to do all that stuff yourself and, and you're on your own.
1: Yes and no. I mean, I definitely yeah. skipped a lot of classes, and looking back and knowing how expensive school is, that's one thing that I would go back and change um, to not skip so many classes. Yeah, but <laughs> but I mean, again, this is a, another interesting thing to look back on because yeah. you know I kept I kept my grades up. I the classes that I did attend, <laughs> which which were more than not. Um, you know, I excelled in and, and I did learn so much. So I think, yes, I took, I took responsibility for myself, but I also took advantage of having the freedom of being out on my own and took advantage of, yeah, more opportunities to go out to parties and more opportunities to, to do things because I was, I was free. I was out on my own. So
0: so what does what does life look like after college? Are you able to find a job right away in in your field or move somewhere so, else?
1: <laughs> so I moved to Chicago. Um, the original goal and you know plan was to move to Chicago and join a jazz dance company. Yeah, I really loved. Um, there was a company that is no longer. Um, it's called or it was called River North Dance okay. Chicago and then there still are quite a few um, companies in Chicago there's Giordano Dance there is um, I don't know if they're still around but Thodos was a big one Mm -hmm. and so my my original goal was move to Chicago join a jazz dance company and dance as long as I can so that was the the original plan (laughs) Um, but I moved to Chicago and Basically worked as a server for for a Such year. Such is life,
0: Megan. Such is life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I trained. I I did look at it as like a fourth year of school in right. some ways because and, and it was difficult because most of my friends did not graduate in three years. Yeah. Most of my friends at Point Park stayed. And so all of my my housemates at the time, I lived in a house with um
0: was there seven other girls? Oh wow. I
1: think there yeah, I, I think there was eight of us total. I feel like that I mean, could go either way. Like 20.
0: Yeah. That could be real terrible or real fun. <laughs> and it went both ways.
1: It went both ways.
0: you guys know the non-alcoholic beer industry grew by like some crazy number like 30% in 2020? 2020. 2021 is trending to be even bigger. And now that we're in 2022. You can be part of that growth just like I am with Wellbeing Brewing. They make some of the best non-alcoholic beers out there. Whether you like your dark beers, like their coffee uh, stout, their coffee cream stout, Intrepid Traveler, it's delicious. They got their limited edition oatmeal cookie stout right now. And they also have the classic IPAs, you know, your intentional IPA, going places IPA, as well as wheats and ambers. And uh, they're such a great brewery. They'll ship right to your house. And right now you can save 10% on your order by using code friend request. I do this constantly. I highly encourage you guys do the same. Um, great company, great history. If you want to read about their, like how they started and you know, if you're a sober person, they are friends of the sober people. So check them out and use code friend request. And if you like CBD waters, do a little chillaxing, uh, you can get those as well and save 10% using code friend request. So head on over to wellbeingbrewing.com and see what they have to offer. Thanks guys. Back to the episode.
1: Um, We actually called ourselves the brothel oh Shout boy. Out to the girls of the brothel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh
0: my
1: because in Pittsburgh, there's like there, I don't know if there still is, but I remember us looking up like if you have over five women living in one house, that it's considered a brothel. That's and so, so funny. So that was our party house name was brothel 61.
0: It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> oh, man. So,
1: oh yeah. So all of my housemates and actually my boyfriend at the time and all of my, my people, yeah. um, so, stayed in Pittsburgh and so that was that was my first time living on my own and being completely solo um which was very difficult um probably that was probably the hardest year of my life was going from college where at least there I had people and I had some structure and you know people were expecting me to be in classes or you know expecting me to be certain places and um, yeah, then moving to Chicago, I did still, um, attend a, a training program there
0: Yeah.
1: at a Yeah. There's a dance studio there called visceral. And so I did like a work study program there on, I was on scholarship. So, um, that That's was cool. a fortunate, um, at least to ha- still have some structure and classes to yeah. attend.
0: Was that one of the reasons you went to chicago to begin with because you were able to get that scholarship because i'm I'm just trying to think was there something in you that was like oh should i wait until i can like audition and get a spot on one of these companies or should i uh you know like go there and just wait it out and but was the scholarship the reason you went or were you just like i'll figure it out (laughs)
1: I was just like, I'll figure it out. I, I had already auditioned, I think for like all of those companies while I was still in school. Um, and I had done other auditions, cruise ship auditions and, um, never got any jobs, but I, I guess I felt confident enough. Yeah. Looking back, it's funny. I guess I felt confident, (laughs) confident enough that I was, I was going to do it. And that's scary. um,
0: Living somewhere that like, you don't know anybody on your own, uh, you're what, 21, 22?
1: Um, yeah, I had, I had just turned 21. and dude, when yes. I graduated, I wasn't... <laughs> when I graduated, the day I walked of gra- for graduation, I, was, I wasn't I was even 21. I turned 21 shortly after. But um, that's wild to look back at. Yeah. That I, I wasn't even 21. And I just... But I've always been very independent and very driven. Yeah. And so that was... That was what I did. I just was like, and I, and I guess know. Chicago <laughs> felt more manageable than going to New York or LA in that moment. i I think I was like, okay, Chicago's manageable. It's a couple hour train ride away from St. Louis. and so I was able to, you know go home if I wanted to for the weekend or um, for holidays and things like that. It was just a train ride away. whereas if I would have gone to New York or LA, yeah. that would have been an even bigger uh, leap out on my own, which I later did. But yeah,
0: well, then you do the cruise ship thing right after Chicago, right?
1: Yep. So, so that year in Chicago, I uh, mostly served and did the training program, and then I had this wild audition experience for my first cruise ship job, where essentially I showed up on the wrong day. <laughs> um, they had an audition for Showgirl height. Girls, which um, I am five, four and a half. So I am not officially showgirl (laughs) height. They were actually looking for girls, I think, who were five, seven and up or five, eight and up. And so the short girl audition was the day before. And I showed up on the day for the showgirl call. And they were like, honey, you're too short. Like, you really shouldn't be here. So then I, of course, went to the bar across the street, got myself a cocktail, called my mom, and then my mom was like, Megan, go back to the audition and just ask if you can audition with the tall girls, like tell them the situation. And I kind of was like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. And then eventually I did. And they allowed me to audition. And then they actually offered me my job in, in the audition. They said, nice. do you want to go to Alaska in like two weeks? And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's sure. do it.
0: <laughs> that's fun. Uh, what, what role, I, cause how you've been sober for how long?
1: I'm coming up on four years.
0: Congrats. Um, Thank you. Looking back at that time in Chicago, and I guess probably the cruise too, what role does alcohol play in that time?
1: In Chicago, a lot of two buck Chuck from Trader Joe's.
0: Very familiar.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, it was like a, a coping mechanism it was something to keep me company because I was alone I mean and yeah drink drinking was at that point probably you know in every day just to get through and um at the time I was in a long distance relationship and so that was a struggle and so definitely drinking to soothe some of that difficulty um so yeah (laughs) it was And I actually, that was the first time I ever went to therapy was during that year of living in Chicago. And I can remember so clearly my therapist being like, I think you should stop drinking. Like, I think this is the problem. And I was like, it can't be. It must be anything else. Like, it must be. And and there were other things going on, of course. But... I refuse to entertain the idea that quitting drinking would solve any problems, yeah. and like it can't be my best friend, two buck Chuck. Like it can't, that can't be the problem. <laughs> it's,
0: it's the, the only solution. thing I'm hanging on yeah. to. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. So there's, I'm drawing parallels uh, in in my own life because 21, I moved to L.A. <laughs> for two years, um, which yeah, same thing, two buck Chuck. Absolutely, <laughs> and uh, amongst many other things that I won't get into right now. But uh, mm. yeah, and that was uh, that was insane. Um, and it's I also have a funny therapy story, real quick, just because I went to therapy for something else. Um, another thing I won't I won't get into a bunch of stories right now about me because that's not what this is about. But uh, also, I've repeated myself a billion times on this podcast. Um, So I, but I went to therapy for something and uh, it was this older lady right away. I was like, oh, I can't like, if I can't say like fucking cock and stuff, like I'm not going to be comfortable (laughs) talking to you. Um, But like, so I sat through the session and in that one hour, by the end of it, she's like, I think you need to quit drinking. Like here's all the signs. This was 10 years ago now. And I was like fuck this bitch (laughs) and i I never saw her again and in one session she was able to figure out what it took me another what's eight years to find it to six years whatever um and it's just it's just crazy what i think we don't notice about ourselves but like professionals in the right setting can be like oh I'm, i'm picking up on something um and that's that's just what that reminds me of that's so funny that that was happening in chicago at that time <laughs> like i think one of your issues might be alcohol I'm like fuck you what are you what are you talking about <laughs> yeah.
1: it is wild and i i can pinpoint a few other times in my <laughs> life like in my pre uh sobriety life that it's just like Other people saw it so clearly, professionals and not professionals. And I just refused to acknowledge that that was the problem. I tried to find anything else, anything else that could be the problem. Because like I think you said, it's like to me, that was the solution. So my solution, (laughs) my medicine, my best friend over here, like this can't be the problem. Yeah. It's my solution, but ultimately been there, Megan. We both know. We we
0: both know
1: <laughs> that the real solution was actually breaking up with alcohol. Yeah.
0: Um. So I I want to fast forward a little because I'm very yeah, yeah I'm very curious about going to Vegas to be a dancer. Because obviously yes. I have to reference the the best film to come out of the '90s, Showgirls. Um, hey. Which, uh, <laughs> uh, I use the word best sparingly in that sentence, but I, I'm wondering like, what is that experience like? Cause that is a, like, that's a movie experience, right? Like a, a dancer in Vegas is like, that's, that's where it happens, right? Like for, especially someone like me, like an outsider who knows nothing about that world. If you say like dancer there, I think of Vegas and I think of like ballet and that's about it. So, so what, how does that happen? What is that like?
1: So Vegas was never on my radar from the time that I was a kid. I always was like, okay, I'll go to Broadway or, you know, then when I was in school, okay, I'm going to go to Chicago. And then I did go to New York for a little while and I went to LA for a little while and Vegas was just never on my radar because of my height. I always thought I was too short to work there. I, I even went and looked at UNLV as an option for school And while I was there, I was like, first of all, I don't want to live in the desert. Second of all, I don't know what I would be doing here because I don't want to do topless shows and I'm too short to be a showgirl. So I had like already written it off in my mind as something that was not an option. Yeah. So then I actually was living in L.A. and L.A. was i thought i was gonna go there and get an agent and like start doing commercials and music videos and instead i taught fitness which grateful for it you know how long were you in la um um just about a year
0: okay what part were you living in
1: i lived in north hollywood awesome it was it was not the dream (laughs) i
0: was in i was in valley village when i left I was in Sherman Oaks before that. And then studio city before that. So I was in the Valley the whole time. That's, that's just how it is. Megan.
1: (laughs) And some people love LA. And so I'm not going to rain on their parade. I'm not going (laughs) to tell them they're wrong. I just did not have the experience. I, at all that I thought I was going to have there. And so anyway, so fast, fast forward. Um, I was there, I taught fitness, um, it was a struggle. <laughs> um, and then I was going back and forth to Vegas for auditions because I had a friend from cruise ships who was living in Vegas and she kept nudging me, you know, hey, there's this audition. Hey, you know, just yeah. just come and try it out. And so this particular show, Vegas The Show, it's called, um, I had already been out to audition for it once and I had made it to the end, but did not get the gig. And then, so this is my second time auditioning. And then I got the gig. So uh, they basically, yeah, they, they called me. And it was that was one of those beautiful moments that like will be frozen in time for me was the call that I got saying that I got that job. Yeah. I had actually come out of teaching a bunch of bar fitness classes. And I was like in Silver Lake. Um, so I taught for a company called Top Physique, which they were okay. awesome, and again, super grateful for them. So I was like walking to my car, and I get in this call. I get this call, and it was the company manager from Vegas the show, and he was like, "How do you feel about joining the cast of Vegas the show?" And I was just like frozen in time. I was like, "Yes, whatever you need me to do. Like I can go there tomorrow. Like it's yes, yes, yeah. yes, a thousand times yes." So. So, and then it happened pretty quickly. Um, I feel like there was just a couple of weeks in between when I got offered the contract and when rehearsals started. And so I packed up all my stuff in, um, and then I, yep, I packed up all my stuff and I moved to Vegas, but not really moved. Like I went and stayed with my friend and um, started rehearsals and then eventually got my own place. And then I stayed in that show for about three years and it was such an amazing experience. I started off just as one track and then started swinging, which for that show was nine female tracks. Well, there's 10 female tracks. And What is
0: a track? The lead- I am so out of this. Oh, a track. <laughs> sorry,
1: sorry. You're good. I should I should break it down as well. So um, it's basically like roles or... Um, I, you could say like characters, um, okay. but basically there's there's ten female dancers, and there's one lead female dancer who does like a solo to Lady Luck, and she's the usually the tallest and um, most featured dancer. So that was the only track that I never got to do because I was too short. <laughs> <laughs> Damn um, but you, the other nine. I know, I know. But really, I was too short to be in the show at all. Um, they were casting for five six five I, five six was the minimum height, and I'm five four and a half. So on Speaks my resume, to your talent, I, though, huh? <laughs> well, and I on my resume I put five five, <laughs> and I like to think that I'm a tall five four and a half. Like <laughs> when when I do stand next to girls who are five, six, and five, seven. I don't think I look that much shorter than them, but now you put me next to a girl who's almost six feet tall, like some of the girls who were in that show and other people I worked with in Vegas. And yeah, Yeah. I'm looking pretty, pretty tiny, but, (laughs) um, but in that show, we also wore three and a half inch ballroom shoes. And then I got like a little extra heel cap that was on my shoes. So, Yeah, it's amazing that none of us ever just like broke our ankles because we wore these huge or these um, really skinny, tall, high heels, and we would do our kick lines and our jump splits. And yeah, it was it was one of the most physically challenging shows that I've ever done.
0: Yeah, I bet. So what what is that like, like, when it finally kind of soaks in that like, oh, I'm living in Vegas, I'm, I'm dancing in a, in a show called Vegas. Like, a, uh, is there a, like, this is, this is amazing. Like, does it, do you get to that point or is it just living your life?
1: <laughs> I like to, I like to think that I really savored that experience. Um, and that it was, I mean, it was amazing. Every night we ended the show at the edge of the stage and, you know, um, confetti's flying and we're just like, you know, soaking in the lights. And I I think about like one of the best feelings of my life and standing at the edge of a stage at the end of a show and the audience is applauding and you're just like basking in this surreal moment. Um, yeah, that, I got to do that twice a night for, well, yeah, that, <laughs> for so th- almost three years. So
0: <laughs> that's what you mentioned that I, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I imagine that's got to be the the precipice of those moments. Because if you're somewhere like New York, Chicago, LA, wherever, and you're doing these shows that last for however many months and you have X amount of performances, there's, there's only, you know, one finale performance, right? But every show in vegas is played out like it's like a finale performance because most people that see those shows they see them like you know they're they're coming there and they're see it's this one big thing they get to see and whether you do it you know every night or whatever it's their night that they see it that it's the one thing so it seems like when you're there that's what the shows give you you know whether it's a like Britney or or something that like that you're doing, there's this big finale effect that I, I feel like Vegas is trying to let the audience feel. Cause that's what Vegas is. Right. So that's gotta be, yeah. it's cool that you're able to feel that and that you got to do it so consistently. Cause, cause I don't think you could do that anywhere else. I mean, am I wrong there? Do you think, or? No,
1: absolutely. And that show ran seven nights a week. So we would usually have our, our designated two days off, but you could also pick up your days off. Yeah. So there would be sometimes where we would be on like a couple weeks stretches where we hadn't, because we would pick up days from other people and especially as a swing. Um, so back to the swing position. So it's just basically that, you know, all of the different track yes you can uh, sub in female dancers exactly so so if you know every single track then it's easier to pick up days too because if a certain person is out and you can just swing into their track so um so yeah we would we would work a lot of consecutive days and i would be lying if i said like there are some days where you are not feeling it and our, our finale costume for that show was a white thong bikini. So there's Aren't some they days all? you yeah.
0: just <laughs>
1: some days you just don't want to put on the white thong bikini.
0: <laughs> I've been but there, believe me. <laughs> yeah, it's most days for me. I'm like, Ugh, not today. It's just nothing's <laughs> nothing's gonna stay in there. Um, so what? So is this? Does that show lead right up to the pandemic? Essentially, no. Okay. So I started that show in
1: 2015. And oh, yeah, I said about three years. then,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, about three years. And then I actually was, um, super fortunate. So I took a little hiatus from that show to actually go on tour with a different show, um, which was kind of leading up to my sobriety moment. Um, go on.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess I should also say, like within the time that I was at that show too, like I, I assist a magician. And so I like was really grateful. I got to go on tour with him a couple of times while I was still at Vegas, the show, but they would allow me short hiatus to go and do that. Yeah. Um, and then I went into an on-call position at the show rather than staying in the full-time swing. And so once I went on call, then I did this random audition that like, um Broadway tour auditions like never come through Vegas so they always audition out of New York or LA yeah. like I shouldn't say never but very rarely come through Vegas and so this was for the tour of the bodyguard so I don't know if you've ever seen the movie oh <laughs> um,
0: I've seen the movie <laughs> I was a kid of the 80s I've seen Whitney Houston belt that out and Kevin Costner carrying her like a yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So this is the musical adaptation of the movie, The Bodyguard. I've never
0: heard Um, of it as a musical, and I'm so excited about that right now.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. You'll have to go on Spotify and check out the um, musical soundtrack because it's all the best song. I mean, it's the the same soundtrack as the movie, um, but... but
0: Placed into the the story. I love it. All right. Yes. So do you get a spot on that? I'm guessing (laughs) that...
1: So I got a spot on that, and it was just wild because I was in this really crazy time in my life. I was in another long distance relationship, just like really you in these long distance
0: relationships. Idea. What are you I doing, man? You
1: know, I'm not sure. I'm just a <laughs> glutton for punishment. No, I shouldn't. I hate having people
0: close to me.
1: <laughs> no, and I I should say like you know. Both of the people that I was in long-distance relationships with, they were wonderful people. And
0: yeah.
1: um, the second long-distance relationship, we were actually together for six years. Wow. So long-distance that really, entire time? Uh, yes. We met what? on cruise ships. Oh we met God. on cruise ships. And then it's very um, normal for cruise ship romances to then – become long distance but then usually people find a middle ground and they you know are able to live in the same place but we were both so career focused and um we're just never able to find that that meeting in the middle moment so um, it is and again it's just so interesting when you look back because when you're in the moment you just think there's almost no other way like i love this person and In order to keep loving them i must remain in a romantic relationship with them even if we can't live in the same city and we'll figure it out at some point and and then you you suffer through that and you you know it almost becomes a new normal and it's awful
0: i go the opposite direction with that i'm thinking like oh my god in my 20s height of like drinking and partying could i commit to somebody long distance for any period of time and i'm like i mean i i would probably lie to them and say i was committed to them but i would be a terrible person uh probably (laughs) through through most of that because that was my uh that was my mo for that period of time in my life um but yeah that's i mean good so good on you six years of a long distance relationship is nuts so that's awesome (laughs) that you were able to hold out that long um and yeah i'm not trying to talk shit about whoever you're with i'm just trying to like, wrap my head around that because that's uh, i've never heard of i think you're that's the longest long distance relationship i've ever heard of six years that's impressive
1: yeah and i mean and we we did a good job of like going to see he lived in seattle while i was mm-hmm. living in vegas so we did a good job of going back and forth and communicating and trying to you know integrate our lives as much as you can long distance. But yeah, ultimately it wasn't fair to either one of us to try and hang on to that. Yeah. So, but I guess pre bodyguard, my life was just in a really messy place. My drinking was definitely like at, at a really high, high intensity. (laughs) uh, Another (laughs) effective. Yes. And Vegas it's, it, yeah, it just ramped up everything for me. And so I was in a really weird place. And so the fact that that show came around, I was like, yeah, let me get out of town. Let me go on this tour. Yeah. So I jumped on that tour. And I so I did that in December of 2017. And It was, like, the most high-profile job I had done. It's actually a union um, equity um, job. And um, I got to have my own little, like, Britney microphone and sing on stage. And it was amazing. And I did some very high-level partnering. But I just drank my way through it. And I really... I look back and that's an opportunity that I definitely feel like I squandered something that could have been so celebratory and just like try to savor every moment of it and remember how fortunate I was to do it. And, and I did in some ways, but in other ways, I mean, drinking before you go in to do a show is not appropriate, (laughs) especially when you're about to go partner someone and let them throw you over their head and, be responsible for other people on stage and I mean there's just so many moving parts on stage like it's just a miracle that I never hurt myself or anyone else during that so so yeah I look back on that and it was such a gift and I wish I could have um, accepted it accepted the blessings in a more um yeah, just accepted those blessings a little bit more.
0: Had you done any singing like or singing a part of what you were doing before? And other stuff?
1: So I I love to sing in a group. Okay.
0: <laughs> so I mean I like I and I've
1: sung <laughs> like I don't know what how the best way to say this. Like mm. like I I think I have a pretty good voice, but I've never been someone who is pursuing a career as a singer. Yeah. Um so if the dancing job required me to sing (laughs) that was pretty much the only time that i was like auditioning for um for anything that included singing and i enjoy singing but (laughs) i would not say i'm a a singer
0: (laughs) fair enough um so does this does what what is the lead up to you deciding to quit drinking what does that look like
1: so it's a very long and drawn out process kind of, yeah, from, from high school Megan all the way through this moment that I'm on the Bodyguard tour. I, I just was blacking out all the time yeah. and really embarrassing myself in front of members of that cast. And again, these are high level performers. Yeah. These are, I mean, and, and I respect every person that I've ever worked with. And, you know, there's high-level performers everywhere that I've embarrassed myself around. (laughs) So, um, but on this tour, I just, yeah, I was making a fool of myself. And, um, again, miracle that I didn't uh, hurt myself or anyone else. And so there was a lot of times on that tour as well where I said, this is it. This is the last night I'm drinking or I'm trying to moderate. And it would always just end in a shit show or a blackout and – so then I can remember that very last night of I'm going to go out and I'm just going to have one beer. But, of course, it needs to be an IPA. So I'm going to get yeah. my IPA. And then once you have one IPA in, you're like, oh, i like, I can have one <laughs> yeah. more beer. My rule then- is stupid now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good old and then I
1: text somebody else from the cast. Hey, I'm over at this bar. Come meet me. We start doing shots. We start ordering mixed drinks, you know, and then you're bar hopping and then you're peeing your pants on the beach, you know, you're just like doing things that (laughs) and it's not even a Friday. (laughs) So, and at the time I'm still trying to hang on to this long distance relationship and just like so much guilt and shame and so much, um, where you wake up in the morning and you see all these calls and texts and just yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah. Just crazy stuff that you're like, who is this alternative version of me who when I consume alcohol comes out of my body. Yeah. <laughs> and and that the people who are on the receiving end of these you know, not just calls and texts but also in person horrible experiences, they're experiencing this through me. So to them, I am the one who's hurting them. I'm the one who's saying these crazy things and fighting them and doing things that I would never, never do. (laughs) Um so (laughs) that night was a particularly like bad one that when I woke up in the morning, I had one friend who I knew um, was sober. And I texted her and I said, please help me. I can't keep living like this. I'm going to die. Like, I was like, I'm going to die. I, um, you know, it's so yeah. emotional when you think back to those moments. Because I really, I think in that moment, I was like, if I keep drinking like this, yeah. I'm going to die.
0: It's hard, and, man. That, yeah. I, I, like you mentioned the the texts and the messages and, and the, yeah, the, level of shame you feel upon waking up is the fucking worst like it the is the
1: worst the worst feeling because it's like a shame that that almost doesn't belong to you yeah. but you have to wear You're it you are know? responsible for
0: it yeah 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 that's rough
1: it's so bad so Anyway, so glad I never have to feel that ever again. And to anyone who's listening to this, and I do, I try to tell this to any person, you know, I am not a professional, but like to just know that you don't have to keep feeling like you do right now, you know, you, you can break the cycle and that whatever you're going through right now, whatever shame and pain you're in right now, like you can you can step forward and it's going to be a hard road and it's going to be a process but on the other side of drinking like you you don't have to feel like this anymore (laughs)
0: yeah Yeah, it's and you point out too like one of the now being sober I recognize it as like oh that's one of the big red flags but when I was drinking I didn't like I never thought twice about it which is that that negotiating right where you're like I'm just gonna have one, or like, I'm gonna have. I'd get a six pack of IPAs, always IPAs, right? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. I'm gonna have Hello. two of these, <laughs> and then the six pack would be gone very quickly. And then, like, uh, you know, I then I'd either drive to the fucking corner store, shouldn't do that, at, and buy more, or like crack open something else that I had. And you always, it, when you get to that point where you're negotiating with yourself, and also not following through with said parameters um it's such a red flag that i think is just so often overlooked and that's like like you just talked about like i'm gonna go out and have this one beer and yeah it's uh yeah I, and that's why it's so important i think to just share these experiences and and stories um so thank you yeah. for sharing that um so Thanks. that's so that's the beginning of, of being sober and where i guess to to kind of start tying things up where do you find yourself in March of 2020 like what is what is where are you at when the pandemic hits well you already said that you were yeah you went you were about to go on a cruise um (laughs) so I guess different question in October when you get your own place and you're like I guess I'm in St. Louis now I mean what's the last (laughs) year and a half looked like for you
1: So it has been kind of an identity crisis that I think I'm still in. (laughs) Um, because I identified as a dancer my entire life and then, you know, was supposed to go on that cruise ship contract and really hung on to that all through the summer, you know, up until like may of 2021 i like resubmitted for because it was a new entertainment company that was casting and so i resubmitted for the ship contract that i was supposed to be on and it just didn't happen yeah. and so yeah so basically in october of 2020 when i moved into my own place i was working at a warehouse. Um, during the pandemic, I worked at a grocery store stocking—not even as a cashier. Like I was stocking shelves. Yeah. Uh, at four o'clock in the morning,
0: like you were an essential worker, groceries,
1: <laughs> pushing carts. Yeah. Like I—I I did not know what to do. I was like, if I'm not a dancer, then I don't know who I am or what I'm qualified to do.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know the other types of work that I did in Vegas, like brand ambassador work and. Uh, working conventions and, you know, just doing things where you can be professionally pretty, like, which is such a funny, like Vegas thing that people say, like, you know, those opportunities were not there. Yeah. So I was like, what do I do? So I worked in a grocery store, I worked in a warehouse. Um, and then it was only in end of July of 2021 that my sister, um, who works for Goodwill, she, was like, hey, you know, I she works over at Goodwill as a life coach for their adult high school program, which is incredible. It's called the Excel Center. That's awesome um, and yeah, so she was like, you know what? The program that I started in, that's called SDL Youth Jobs. She's like, I really think that you would be a good fit to be a job coach over there. And I was like, I am not qualified to do this. I only know how to dance and I I don't know what I have to offer these kids. Yeah. And then she talked me into it. Um, and now I've been working there ever since. And it's been a very challenging but beautiful experience. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's, a, that's
0: gotta be pretty rewarding too, especially in in this time <laughs> that we're that we're living in. Uh so I, I'm curious, I wanna just ask a kind of an overarching question. Um
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's funny that you mentioned you're kinda like in the middle of an identity crisis cuz this kind of relates to that and i'm thinking if you t- if you kind of step outside yourself right and look back at your life and see how like you were placed into dance at 2 years old and and like you know catered to some degree before you were able to like have your own agency and make your own choices that you're i imagine your parents are like you're a dancer um And then you pursued that and and made a career out of it and went to school for it. And are you... uh, Is there any part of you that looks back and go like, would I have chosen this? Is that... Mm,
1: (laughs) Great question.
0: I'm just going to spiral you further down the identity crisis. Um,
1: Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Because (laughs) even, (laughs) even though... Being a dancer in identity, being a dancer in career, being, you know, all the ups and downs, like those beautiful moments of standing at the edge of a stage, of sharing the energy with people in a dance class, of the gift of being able to dance and share my artistry and the therapy that dance has provided... I, I wouldn't trade that for anything.
0: That's awesome. So, I was just curious.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, I was Which like,
0: is... "Oh, I'm definitely going to ask this if I'm going to catch her in the middle of a, an identity crisis, perhaps." So, <laughs> <that's>, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> Which it is interesting to look at the future and figure out how my identity as a dancer plays into to my my present and my future because. It's, it's not really what I'm doing for a career anymore. I'm super lucky. Like I got to go back to Vegas for new years and perform for new years. So I look forward to hopefully still having, you know, some gig work. Um, But I'm hoping that I'm taking this yoga teacher training right now. And, you know, at some point to kind of fuse the idea of, you know, yoga philosophies, dance movement Uh, the work that I'm doing with the kids at SEL youth jobs and trying to serve them and to create some type of fusion where I can be of service, but with movement and yeah, maybe use that as my new path forward as a, a dancer plus other things.
0: (laughs) Well, I like it. I, uh, I only know of you uh, for the other things that we've interacted with, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you. I think this is, it's cool to open up your world and, and still acknowledge and and be grateful for the, you know, the other, the gifts you have and in the dance and the, and movement in general. And I think yoga probably plays uh, directly into that. And so I think that's cool. I think you got, you got a lot of fun opportunities ahead of you. So, so good for you. Um, I'm, I'm, out of questions. Are you, are you good? Did I, did I not cover anything you want to talk about?
1: Um, I, I was just thinking to myself, like one thing that has been huge over the last almost two years, like year and a half is, um, that I have actually like found a relationship with God. So I feel like that's an important thing for me to say out loud and,
0: what was Say that? To the
1: universe. <laughs>
0: Where did that come from? Was that sobriety related? Was that something else related?
1: <laughs> I, it was sort of pandemic. Well, yes, okay. pandemic related. So sobriety wise, um, I did not. I did not find God immediately in sobriety. Yeah. Um, so it was really pandemic related that my mom had been sending me sermons from the, her church here called the Gathering. And I was like, mom, stop sending me these sermons. I don't want, I don't <laughs> care. I don't want to listen to this. And then pandemic times happen. I'm taking all of these super long walks and trying to, yeah, not drink, trying yeah. to like, which was a weird feeling. Cause I was already like two years into my sobriety. And yeah. then this thing happens that makes me want to drink again. And I'm like, man, I thought I was past this feeling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So definitely uh, taking a lot of very long walks and listening to podcasts. And then I started listening to these sermons and it was interesting because it was pretty immediate that it just was like connecting with me that this idea of of being connected to not just something bigger than me, but being connected to God and Jesus and religion, which still it's like. It, some of it feels new and scary to me, but it's also like that visceral. Like this is this is meant to be in my life, and yeah. this is meant to be a part of my story to share and to yeah, just to reach other people. And so yeah, so I really um, that's been a big part of my life the last year and a half or so is connecting to yeah. church and. In God and
0: where were you? So. I'm asking because you said your mom was sending you this stuff. Did you did you guys have like a religious household growing up?
1: So it's interesting because we we did go to church and um, we went to a very liberal um, United Church of Christ Protestant uh, church here in St. Louis, and we went there. But then when life got really busy and crazy and schedules didn't work out to go to church anymore like we just dropped church so i i actually got confirmed so I, i was baptized and confirmed in that church but then like pretty shortly after i got confirmed we stopped going and then i didn't have any type of relationship with church religion god until 2020
0: yeah
1: so it was a very long hiatus of not being connected to anything bigger than myself i think yoga would probably be the closest thing that i was like feeling connected to something bigger than myself i wonder if um, there was some
0: sense of like safety and security from like the innocence of childhood that kind of clicked back in your head once you
1: look at you with the therapy making the connections all i want to do is make connections with everything everyone
0: says see the problem is i like big connections like that but i'm also like why do i chew this way (laughs) i want to find out every time but um yeah no it's just be something to think about i'm I'm wondering but um yeah well that's awesome Um, i'm glad you i'm glad you're finding peace with that and hopefully everything uh continues onward and upward and yeah I I just I appreciate your time and and talking to me and doing this (laughs)
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I really, really appreciate you. Thank you for working with me. <laughs> Thank you for Time zones are a bitch, man. My, I, I get it. <laughs> like, come on, Megan. Like, and I even put CST in the email that I sent back to you. Yeah. Or not CST. EST, CST. Yeah,
0: yeah on, and I was like, I
1: put EST she and wrote I like,
0: it. Maybe she didn't know what I it meant. It. I don't know. <laughs> I knew, but I wrote um,
1: it. Oh, Lord. Yeah, you're good. But no, I really appreciate you, and Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the brand ambassador team. And I don't know if this is for podcast purposes or not, but I I just am so excited. Like this is the OG group. So it's like really exciting to see everybody's individual um takes on social media and feeling everybody's different energies, but that we're all there for the same purpose, you know.
0: Yeah. raise well being and
1: share it with communities. Yeah
0: well well thank you so much um i'm gonna go eat dinner and yeah and get rid of these well-beings that i drank the entirety of while i'm talking to you
1: <laughs> i love it we gotta have multiple beverages at all times and it's,
0: it's, a, it's a problem doesn't mean we
1: it's like just because we don't drink alcohol doesn't mean we uh don't like drinking exciting beverages and story. multiple drinks at a time
0: yeah. oh yeah it's a it's a podcasting joke too like every podcast host for whatever reason always has like three or four drinks during a, during a recording, as if like something's going to happen. you will be like, I need help, liquid. I need liquid. It's, uh, it's a, really <laughs> we funny. need more liquid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, well, thank you, Megan. You're lovely. You're wonderful. Uh, I enjoyed this a lot and I, I will talk to you sooner than later. I'm sure.
1: Well, thank you so much. And Hey, cheers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bye.
1: All right, bye. Take care. When I have lots in common, I request a scent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my
0: friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Megan Melville. I found out this is the craziest thing. So I found out after me and her talked. Um you know how Facebook is just like, you should be friends with this person. Um, I looked at her and we had a mutual friend and I was like, who could this be? It's probably someone from like my non-alcoholic beer group or something. And it was my buddy, Jim, who I've known since, I don't know, freshman year of high school, uh, who's a musical genius. And it turns out he wrote, uh, some of the music for a musical that she was in. So, they know each other through that, which is crazy to think about (laughs) like such a small world, um, moment. So that was funny, but I I really loved this. Um, I loved how honest and vulnerable Megan was about her decision to stop drinking and fuck how relatable uh, was all of that. I don't know about you guys, but I was, yeah, I was just nodding my head. Yeah, I know that. I know that feeling, the negotiating, the, checking your phone, just terrible. Um, so I'm happy that she shared that and I'm happy that she found uh, another passion in life and that she continues to grow as a person. It's all we can ever do, right? And usually if you're doing it and you're chasing what you're passionate about, you can find some, some semblance of success there. So that was great. I was so happy to have her on and I'm happy to see you guys and talk to you guys if you're listening to this on release day, it's Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day. Uh, if you want to get me a valentine, you can head over to patreon.com slash friend request pod and you can become a Patreon. It's oh nine. It's about the same price uh, as being, uh, you know, buying a valentine. Unless you buy an actual card, then you're getting into like the $3.99 to five ninety nine dollars range. Can we just do a separate episode on the rising cost of greeting cards? What happened there? Um, (laughs) so for only a dollar nine, you can go join the Patreon, but I, I appreciate you guys. I love you so much. Thank you for all the support and listens and sharing every time you recommend this show to a friend and they continue to listen. It really just tickles my fancy there. I said it. So thank you guys. Thank you, Megan, Megan Melville. Check her out. She's amazing. And check out wellbeing brewing. The theme song is by Talia Dalton, and the podcast is recorded and produced and edited by yours truly, Justin Lamb. You guys have a great week, and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. I love you.